we, we reject your authority. We reject your authority. It's yeah, your authority is illegal in this yeah. in this region of the world, and you are hereby put in prison. And so they cart them off to prison. Which means that they, at some point, decided they should build a prison. Details. <laughs> yeah. Hello, and welcome to One Weird Thought with Kiran and Vijay. I am today's host, Kiran, and with me, I've got Vijay. How have you been, Vijay? Great, Kiran. Great. Uh, good to uh, hear you and see you. Um, looking forward to uh, today's topic. Yeah, uh, I, I'm still standing after two weeks in Medellin. So I've visited Pablo Escobar's haunts. I've uh, jumped into a lake from a bridge. It's all been happening in Colombia. So, wow, wow! I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, how I can how I can match that for excitement. Uh, I went for a walk with my 86 year old dad the other day. Ooh, uh, that can be dangerous. You, you, you know, I tell you what, I was really impressed just by how well he moves like for his age. Like, like we were, you know, walking over some rough terrain and, and, uh, he was smooth as silk. So, um, nice. Uh, it was good, uh, really good spending time, uh, with my parents, uh, last week and my sisters too. Uh, and my sisters too. So, uh, Karen, before we dive into your topic, obviously, obviously our listeners expect us to keep them up to date on the latest in news. And, uh, today or this week in the news, I should say, uh, the G20, um, meeting is happening and India has tried to try to move where they have decided they want to refer to themselves not as India. Uh, but by the name of Bharat instead, Bharat. which is, is that not fair? Yeah. I was going to say there's, there's nuance to it. Like I'm talking. I'm cool like, with I, it. Whatever. I, India, so, Bharat, it's apparently it's both in the constitution. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so they're, they're both legitimate names to use for that country that I call India. Right. Uh, I think most um, people call India. I don't, right. I don't think uh, that's just you, Vijay. Yeah. The, the problem, and, and, you know, I get that they want to kind of break away uh, from the colonizers name because apparently the colonizers called it India, um, which was based on some Sanskrit name for the Indus Valley, I guess. Something like that. I guess the Indus rivers, the confluence. Yeah. Well, the funny yeah. thing is all the, in, most of the Indus rivers are all in Pakistan. So that's awkward. That is awkward. It's definitely but then, awkward. But but then think about it. When the British did it, it was all one thing anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right? the. So, yeah, it, my, I guess it was the Confederacy of India. I don't know what I forgot yeah, what they and, called and it. See, interesting. You chose that word, uh, Confederacy, because my problem and my discomfort with it is it's got a bit of a Confederacy vibe to it now. Right, what? I feel like yeah, because of the BJP. Is I feel like you know that's their thing, man. Right, it, yeah. it's got a bit. They've kind of co-opted it and turned it into a a Hindu nationalist kind of thing. Is how I feel about it. So I think it's kind of awkward. Yeah. See, uh, Indian history is 
okay, in some ways it's very complicated. And then in other ways, you could do a pattern match and then think that Modi is pretty much uh, a far right, like Trumpian type person. And I don't know, over the years I've gotten past it and just said, you know, there's, there's too much history. There's too much random crazy stuff that's happened in India that has not happened in the United States. Where the far right of the United States, I think, is like batshit insane. I actually think the far right of India is like, maybe they have some points of merit. And maybe I'm, I'm not saying the like extreme far right, but there are some portions of the BJP's platform. And I, I'm not familiar with their latest problems, problematic stances. So I'm just speaking from the basic principle that the Congress party in India has had, you know, 60, 70 years of trying to do something and they mm -hmm. just haven't gotten it right. And I think there's a large portion of blame you can kind of lay at Jawaharlal Nehru and his descendants yeah. for kind of ruining India. First of all, Nehru kind of messed things up with partition. You know what was nice, I, though? It was, it was secular corruption, which was nice. And, and now we've got this kind of Hindatva <laughs> kind of thing instead, right? And so... I think the claims of secularism from the beginning were uh, far overblown. Like, dude, the, the thing I learned recently was Jinnah was the secularist. Yes, ne yes, yeah, you shared that with me, yeah. Jinnah was a secularist and Nehru was the guy supporting, I mean, Gandhi, for all of his faults, was was an incredible person, right? Like, in the 20th century, there was probably no bigger figure, no bigger figure in the world stage um, from India or elsewhere. Like, I think he was the most important character. And, 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 a, and, is, a great and a great basketball player. An excellent basketball player, as can be seen in yeah. BJ's uh, office artwork. But so, yeah. he was a religious figure. I, I don't know why anyone would... He called himself the Mahatma. Did right? he call himself it, the Mahatma? I he mean, didn't. He, it, he didn't tell anyone to stop. To stop? No, oh my God, guys, seriously too much? <laughs> guys, Mahatma is going a step too far. Um, look, I, it, Indian history is complicated. It's, yeah. it's weird to say that the Congress is secular when so many things in India from the get-go, were not secular. And, um, yeah, I agree with you that the BJP gives me the willies a little bit, you know, the way they talk about stuff. Um, but it's more complicated, I think, than the United States, where I think both parties are a little bit to the right. But the, Demo the Democrats seem to be, like, the most reasonable folks, mm. and the Republicans <laughs> are scary. So <laughs> one, one thing I find funny, though, when you compare the two right wings is the India right-wing version is all vegetarian and non-drinking, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like, you know, you imagine, like, these collaborations happening between them. You know, They're both just... four guns, though, so there's that. They do have that, yeah, that's nice. More, more violent or aggressive, so I think that's a common characteristic of the right. Um... I don't know. I don't know what to feel about it, to be honest. I don't think I have a great feel for the subject. But, dude, I don't think Bharat gives me the creeps. Uh, Bharat is how we used to, like in Hindi, it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Bharat, no, Desh, Bharat, like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very I think, normal. So you, you, have, you have a better sense 
about it than I do, right? Like you have more sense. You have, you understand the nuances better than I do. Yeah. In um, cricket game, in cricket matches, you'd say, yeah. Bharat Mata Ki Jai, you know, like there's a thing. But are the Indian Muslims saying that? Yeah, man. For no, sure. Really? Of course. Oh, I guess, yeah, it's Mother India, yeah, yeah. It's... Mother India. I... Yeah, yeah. Look. But are they, are they jang it though, really? They're not Why jang not? it too. Yes, they are. Look, it's like jang is like a kind of Hindu kind I of thing. don't know why this has become a thing. In, in I mean, I do know why. It's like the divide yeah. and rule policies of the British extended through colonial history, extended into India's history. But for the record, Indian Muslims and Pakistani Muslims used to be very... We, like, as a group, Indian Muslims and Hindus were very cohesive back in the, like, even as early as 200, 300 years ago. 200 years sure. ago. Yeah, probably. yeah, I get that. Right? I get we, that. It's called Bharat. We used to celebrate uh, festivals together, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a huge community because we had common ancestry. Yeah. Like, very recent ancestry. And so I think this whole thing is overblown. Most of North India's problems with Muslims stemmed from partition anyway. Like that stuff was messed up from the 1920s or 30s. It's definitely messed up. But we should move on, Kieran. We should. I should have kept a time, Vijay, before. Uh, you know, we can talk about this for a long time. We can. We can. So you heard it here, Kieran Pro BJP. Uh, That's what you. Of course. <laughs> Look at this gotcha journalism, gotcha yeah. journalism for our, from our very own Vijay uh -huh. Sarad. Um, uh. Look, today's idea can dispel all these problems, Vijay. I'm I'm convinced of it. I think anarchy is the way to go. And to prove to you that anarchy is the way to go, I've written up a small, I don't know what to call it, a little vignette, a little story that describes what an anarchic civilization might look to someone from the outside. Now, I think there needs to be many technological advances for, to allow us to organize ourselves as a group of humans, uh, greater than 10 million people, into an anarchic space. Like, I don't think we've seen an example of this in our current world. So the weird thought is just, hey, we should be able to do this soon. Like, let's, let's organize ourselves in some sort of version of anarchy where I don't have to answer to some sort of president or when you, know. when you have a failed state is that an, is that considered an anarchic state yes but this is a this is an anarchic utopia and i think anarchy gets such a bad vibe these days i think and that's like a i think it's a genius marketing ploy by big government vj <laughs> that's how it that's how it started but anarchy at its core just means the lack of hierarchy Right. And I think anyone who's been in a highly regimented society can tell you, as India, many Indians can attest, uh, hierarchy is, is not always the way. Um, India, for many swaths of its history, has been anarchic as well, but an anarchy in a decent way. Um, See, I, I wouldn't, I don't know, would you call it anarchic or would you call it? decentralized clusters and because I, tomato because, like, tomato you, on that um, yes no, no no i mean like because like if you get a set if you have a bunch of kingdoms yeah right within those kingdoms right there's a there's structure no right? but there's been various places where the king died like kings have uh 
been overthrown. We've had like strange councils of elders. We've had Mm. just no major power in regions of India before and things kind of go on as they will. Mm. There, I mean, I would, here's what I'd say. A lot of the history I feel has been lost because the common people never really write down their history. We, we, yeah. we don't create great monuments. We don't create history books. There are no scribes writing down what people have done. But hum- humans have lived in anarchy for many years. And it, while it was difficult, uh, I'll give you that for most of the time, um, we, I feel like with enough technological progress we, and with enough technology that is decentralized, we could eventually end up in an anarchic and yet utopian um, method of city governance. That's uh, quite the premise. That, it's uh, science fiction at the moment, right, Vijay? It's like, I'm, I'm not saying this will work today. I'm, I'm, but... I'm loading up my shotgun uh, to start blowing holes in it. Right, so, uh, uh, so uh, first of all, in your Substack article, the key thing I just learned from you was that this civilization you described in your article is a is a hypothetical civilization. Of course. You say, of course, I'm no way, it's Synovians. You sound familiar. Uh, somewhere in South America, I'm assuming. No. <laughs> Wait, you thought one weird thought, that my one weird thought for the week was pulling from real history? Yeah. I said, wow, this is really well researched. No, the Synovians, Novia just means girlfriend in Spanish, so I don't know why I the synovia just means without a girlfriend, so they're lonely. <laughs> so okay, fundamental kind of reset for me. Hypothetical is what we're going with this. Hey, that's not bad. So I kind of described it in well enough. Yeah, so you I'm thought totally one saying... sec. I I have to back up now because I described three cities all built into volcanoes with five million people each. I was like, wow, this is amazing. How, PJ? I'm such a sucker. I feel so stupid. This feels like if I you know had what? taken your dilosol yeah. thought seriously. Just like young, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Ryan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he took my dinosaur. But my one was obvious, right? So I was like, wow, this is really well researched. But you know what, folks? This is a good lesson for all of us. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. That's true. We've we've taught everyone a valuable lesson. I don't think there is, for the record, there is not a single one weird thought that we have done that actually exists, right? This is a good point. This is a good point. So Vijay has break has broken tradition and has taken my one weird thought very seriously. Very. I've given a lot of thought. So... Okay, keep keep going though. It's hypothetical. Okay. So Okay, it's hypothetical. It's good. So my first question to you is let's say pick a place, a geography where you would place the society. So what I had in mind when I was writing this is mm-hmm. in Guatemala. There's a See, area. Shit, well, South America, dude. It's Central America. It's Central, Central America. America. It's, look, it's it's south of here. That's true. That's true. Um, so Guatemala has a lake called Lago Atitlan, which uh-huh. I think we've talked about on the pod. And it's surrounded by three volcanoes. And 
in the future, it, and it's one of the it's the deepest freshwater lake, I, definitely in Central America, but could be in in the entire Americas. I'm not really sure, but lots of fresh water, very easily defensible, and surrounded by these three volcanoes. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if an advanced human civilization, we take the the energy that volcanoes produce, and so these cities don't really need too much external power, and it has ample source of fresh water, lots of rain every every year. Um, they've got this massive deep lake. It could support a very self-contained insular civilization. So Lago Atitlan is what I was thinking. Awesome. Um, so gradually populations, I think, might increase in size, especially when needs are being well met. I think I was reading a Thomas Pickett ebook where he kind of mapped out the relationship between kind of like how healthy a society was and the rate at which populations were increasing, which makes I, sense. I thought the conventional wisdom was it, it does it increase up to a point and right. then it, it lowers because women like families generally want around one to two kids. It's less common. And of course there's the whole neonatalism pro-natalist mm. movement that we've talked about again in the pod. Mm -hmm. But um, by and large, two kids is is plenty, especially when you have a society that champions taking care of your own kids and not um, expecting, not, not hiring out too much help for yourself. Where I was going with this was this, this place, this group of people, do they need to trade with the rest of the world? They do. They have some supply chains uh, with the rest of the world. Thankfully, this is such an advanced civilization that a lot of that trade is in digital space. And a lot of their physical needs can be met just between these three cities. That's the premise. I mean, I was just thinking about population control and birth control. I'm surprised that's the first thing that's... You don't think they would... Well, I feel like the populations would stabilize at some point. I mean, they're only going to stabilize if they have the means to, to stabilize them. No, there's a natural birth rate which hovers around 1.8. So it's like the deaths Oh, you think, you think without birth control, you can maintain 1.8? Without top-down birth control. Like everyone would have access to birth control, like well, basic family planning. That means they either need to produce it or they need to import it. Yeah, right? man. 3D, okay. 3D production, they'll have all the raw materials. They're built into volcanoes, so they have access to most elements. They have access to ample sources of energy. Mm. They can create um, nearly any material you known to man. But well, remember, this is like 15 yeah. million people. 15 million people can do a lot of production. What, what's their immigration policy? They are pretty insular. That is the thing. Not many people know of them. Remember, yeah. I, I don't know if you caught on to this part yeah. of the the story, but they are an advanced civilization that has emerged after our second or third climate crisis. Ah. Oh, so it's the kind of great swaths of Earth could be empty anyway, so they could yeah. live rel in a relatively insular kind of way. Correct. And their, la their largest threat right now and this has happened across human history, 
when people become too successful, when there are areas of land where, you know, they have been peaceful for a long period of time and they have lots of wealth, aggregated wealth, usually barbarians are someone stronger. Some, hmm. a, a group of people that have had to live harsh, difficult lives come through and just raid that area. And so it, I think the tension that I'm trying to create is these free cities exist in anarchic happiness. And there's a barbarian who's coming through strict hierarchy, regimented society, mm. and we'll see how he does against them. Right. So, okay. So now in, in your scenario, these guys are living, they're having a great time. They're great there, time. right? They're at peace because they, they're all of their needs are being met. Right. Um, right. So they've got no reason to, to complain. Right. Um, there, there are still people who complain. There will always be people who complain. But yes, by and large, they're living a pretty happy-go-lucky existence. Okay. Um, and now, all of a sudden, there's this exterior force that comes in. Yeah. And yeah. seeks to control these people. And has a hard time. Right? Um, he's got, on paper, he should win. He should. He's got the bigger army, mm -hmm. and I think, theoretically even, a hierarchical regimented army would probably beat out a group of disorganized civilians who haven't, um, who don't have, like, combat training. But I'm thinking, like, maybe they have combat training. Do they have Look, weapons and stuff? This is just the, the tip of the story, right? We have to... Yeah. Keep going. I think the most interesting part of it is just how would an anarchic society organize itself against an external threat? Would they give up anarchy like as a core principle and then appoint a leader for, you know, a short period of time to just whip everyone into shape? Uh, would they, you know, would they create distributed bands of, would they basically only fight guerrilla warfare and then, you know, spread out the civilians so that, does, these barbarians can take over nothing. I think that's something we have to figure out. Um, but I think this is so, the beginnings of, a, of an interesting so, story. So if there's a crisis, right, within that crisis, right, during the period of that crisis, people are going to be looking, it, right, somebody will fill that vacuum because it's such a golden opportunity. I have the answers and I can save you. Right. Um, so I feel like even though they've been living in this anarchic existence, once they feel that threat, if somebody offers them an alternative to that threat, yeah, they're going to clamor towards it. I, I think that's current day society. But let's say <laughs> mm. there is a society that's been inoculated against that. They've had too many examples of, um, of strong, strong men taking mm. over their civilization, almost burning it to the ground. Right. And so they realize, hey, this isn't the solution. We need better processes. We need a better way of doing things. Like, why not, Vijay? What, what do you. Okay. Well, I, I feel, Have you, so I, I feel like some sort of organization needs to happen to fend, to repel the, uh, to repel the threat. And um, it, it could be like a limited time hierarchy where, yes, this person definitely gets to be elevated and then is torn down within six months what, what, what if it was just hundreds and hundreds of, of or thousands of of small guerrilla groups yeah 
Right, that, right. So that'd be cool. It's highly decentralized, right? So it becomes very hard to fight against them in any consistent kind of way, right? Because they all fight in whatever manner suits them. I would like then, to learn more about guerrilla warfare. Like, I don't know how it works. If, if it if it's so decentralized, how do they make sure that they don't run into each other? Like, they probably have a system of well, signals and calls. Yeah, well, and I'm, I'm not sure they do, right? Like, so. Like if you go into like a failed state scenario where there's a whole bunch of warlords running around. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, like, you know, you, sometimes you'll see these situations where there's an external threat and then there's a bunch of folks trying to repel that internal, uh, external threat. But as soon as the external threat's gone, then the infighting begins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I heard, I heard that many of the, the whole Arab spring thing kind of fell through because of some situation like this. They, they didn't, they never formed a form of governance amongst the mm. protesters. Mm. Well, it seems to thing like in Seattle, right? With all the chop and all that. Ultimately. Yeah. Let me right, ask you this though. Yeah. In principle, in principle, do you think hierarchy is necessary for organization? Uh, it's, I struggle to find an example where you get above a critical mass yeah. and you don't have some sort of, like, you see this like in, in organizational behavior, right? Like, um, you start out, it's a small team. Everybody's going, 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 right? You yeah, just yeah. talk, you figure out who's going to do what, bam, bam, bam. And then you hit a tipping point where you're like, oh shit, things are falling apart. Right. We need a little bit of process now. Right. And then I think for a period of time, like you're building those processes organically. Yeah. Right. So they're all being built to serve a particular need. And then you kind of go over a tipping point and now it's just like, you know, now you're serving the process instead of the process serving, serving you. That's kind of my take is even prior to your threat, right? Like I, I don't see how you do things like piping water into homes without some sort of, some sort of organizing principle. Well, I think, I think you would probably have had a set of people who are experienced at w managing water, um, create a elaborate pipe system, right? Like there doesn't need to be. Is okay, it how about, capitalism? How about you this just, as an example? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's, I, I hope, I guess I don't understand capitalism enough to say whether it's pure capitalism, but like in software, my entire career has been built as a TPM or product manager. And, you know, you've been a people leader, but you've gone, mm. you've mm. done IC mm. level work mm. Mm. in, in a team, even though I often had a lot of say in what was built and like how things mm. were going, I wasn't managing any of the engineers, right? We were effectively mm. at the same level, but oftentimes I would influence and get them to do things. Now, was the only way my power flowed through some sort of chain of command, like because I had a director that, you know, wanted me to be the PM and then also hired the same engineers. Did, is that the way, is that the only way that worked? Or was it also some sort of um, innate way of influencing people that allows, you know, us to organize? Like, could that model of leadership work in like a distributed space? So I, I think, I think the challenge is you would hope that 
if we're all staring at the same data, we all come to the same conclusion, right? But oftentimes you're trying to make decisions without all the data you would like. Yeah. And you're, even when you do have some data, right? Like people's conclusions from that data differ. Conclusions differ wildly. You need an arbiter. Now, that arbiter no, could just be a third person. They don't have to be a, a boss, right? That's say, true. Hey, we're having this dispute, right? Like, let's just go to the third person and see what they think. But I think the arbiter needs to be mother nature. And I'd say, I think like the best example of this is many open source projects, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think like there's the, there are famous examples where there's benevolent dictators. Be, mm -hmm. uh, so, Linus you know, Torvald. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there are also other examples of projects where, you know, there's one person working on it for many years, a small team gloms around them. That person mm -hmm. who started the open source project probably holds more sway than other people. But it's a completely voluntary organization, right? So it's not like mm. that person can coerce everyone on the team to go do work. And the important thing is when there's disagreements, sometimes they just fork the project entirely, right? And that mm. is value destructive, but it allows, it just allows the people who do the work to make the decisions. And I think that's an important part of this hierarchy, uh, lack of hierarchy. So like in the water example, right, let's say, you know, there's some sort of standard that was impossible to agree on. Mm -hmm. um, maybe there are like three water, there are three different ways they do water in this volcano, volcanic city. So you could live like, you could live with some inefficiency, right? So imagine. Yeah, yeah. It, because at this point, we have so much surplus. We are technologically, we are technological gods. Rainwater right. harvesting is just amazing vertical farming the the middle of the volcano mm. is just filled with the most beautiful crops uh, imaginable right we have so much surplus that we live with lots of inefficiency but we we are anarchic so uh lots of efficient inefficiency but a lot of longevity because we don't die because of bad leaders because there aren't any leaders exactly um I'm telling you, India would not have been colonized, Vijay, if we didn't have the weakest leaders imaginable. Oh. Going back to one of the older <laughs> one weird thoughts, we wouldn't have been colonized with such without such weak leadership in the. Okay, so actually, let, let's take let's kind of do that. <laughs> let's do that for a second now. Now we're there. East India Company shows up. Yeah, they show up. They're like, right, take us to the man in charge. Everybody looks at each other confused. Yeah. They don't even know where to point you. Correct. There's no man right. in charge. There, there is no, no man one. in charge. No. So then, if you're the East India Company, how do you react? You say, okay, perfect. Henceforth, we are in charge. Yeah, but then everyone's like, we reject who is in charge. And then we, we reject have, your authority. We reject your authority. It's, yeah, Your authority is illegal in this yeah. in this region of the world, and you are hereby put in prison. And so they cart them off to prison. Which means that they, at some point, decided they should build a prison. Details. Yeah. <laughs> or actually, maybe not. They're like, okay. They're, oh, they're like, 
you don't need to be in prison. You're just not allowed here. So we're going to take you outside of our borders. You are now in yeah. exile, right? I think they would exile people for the record. We're going to pick you up and just drop you off outside. Say, Look. We're going to drop you out off outside this region. Sorry. You know, you can't play here because you decided to impose your authority upon us. Pre, and pre the authoritarian showing up, was this a peace-loving nation? I mean, there'd be skirmishes, Vijay, I bet. Like, I'm sure, yeah. I, I think everyone is peace-loving. Here's the thing. 99% yeah. of humanity is peace-loving. It's just because, like, fighting is, is stressful, I would assume. Yeah. I don't think there's, the warmongering civilizations are probably the ones that aren't really having a good time of it. And then they see yeah. these other people with lots of stuff and they're like, I want to take the stuff. Because I'm, I'm worried that our, our nation, uh, this is the second nation we've built. Yeah. But this is a future right. nation. I think our uh, yeah. previous nations have all been, is, you know, would, would our citizens be like dodos? Right. So they have these dodos running around. They have no natural predator. Right. So they have no fight or flight reflex. So they've never had to fight or flight. No, we right. still have to figure things out, Vijay. This, our, our citizens, and again, we wouldn't be leading them. We would just be one amongst right. the but crowd. Do, do, they, do they, but they have to have some sort of propensity for violence, right? To be able to They have challenges. Violence. Like, they have bad drought years. They have, uh, look, Mother Nature, however much we want to say that, she, you know, she wants to take care of us, in reality, has done everything in its in her power to kind of wipe us off the face of the earth, right? Mm, we mm. have humans and every single animal on this planet has had to bear the brunt of nature. And so just the the fact that we've we've survived this long is impressive. And so uh, the citizens are going to be hardened just from that. They don't need outside uh elements. The okay. The tension is going to come, though, from this outside element in this particular story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, this is this is encouraging, right? Because now these outsiders come in and they start boss, trying to boss around one of the citizens. Yeah. The other citizens see this and they're, we're not going to stand for this. Exactly. Keep going. And we're now going to repel you. We shall repel. Right. Exactly. And who shall do the repelling? <laughs> well, they they will form a a organic uh, movement of uh, folks who will just see. Well, I feel like they're going to get breaking down for you. I feel like, yeah, you know what? Why, it is? why can't this um, be like the volunteer course? You know, like the yeah, you, army, you know army course. I, I'll tell you what. I was listening to this guy. I want to call him Larry Nance, but Larry Nance played in the NBA. It was a different Nance. Okay. Right? Uh, the different Nance, he was a former CIA guy. And he's got a podcast, interesting guy. And he was talking about how he had encountered uh, Piroskin, you know, the, one, uh, the Wagner group dude. Yeah. He'd encountered those teams' forces on two occasions. He was also, a, I want to say, SEAL team kind of guy or something like that. He was in some oh, wow. sort of elite yeah. armed forces kind of, you know, you know how it is when you're in the elite armed forces than the CIA, right? And sure. so um, I, I know that. I know how you know, that is. Right? And so um, <laughs> he's saying like they, account, they had to encounter these guys on two occasions. 
And he said the first time they encountered, they just took him to pieces, right? Uh, and he said oh, it, it, the SEAL it wasn't, teams were just better trained. He, just yeah, but he said the people we were fighting were a bunch of amateurs, Yikes. right? And he said the second encounter, he goes, we still took him to pieces, but we actually lost two people Some... in, in that skirmish. Mm. But he said the difference between the two was in the first instance, it was literally, you know, just rank amateurs, right? Who yeah. were just co-opted into this, uh, into this force. And in the second scenario, right? The mercenaries are all ex-military from various places, right? There were some French foreign legion people. So they wow. actually had some skills, right? And so my concern for our citizenry would, if they were fighting, like if they had to fight against an organized militia, they would get beat up pretty badly, pretty quickly. Yeah. I can only hope that the technological superiority and drones or something like that would give them enough of a boost. Cause I agree with you hand to hand combat. These guys would lose. There's no way. Yeah. Hand to hand. They're out. I think so, so sniper then, to sniper, yeah. the Synovians so, would get their ass kicked. So then maybe, uh, maybe we are back to that kind of guerrilla warfare, like that French resistance style. Yeah, man. You know, uh, but that's, that's kind of knock it out, drag it out kind of fighting. That doesn't happen easily and quickly. I'm right? thinking, even, I, I think the way I would continue the story is yeah. these marauders get into the base and they find it yeah. completely desert, uh, deserted. Deserted? Oh. Yeah. Sure. They find it completely deserted. Yeah. Why does that sound so weird to me? I think it's all the Spanish. It's like ruining what words sound like to me. Anyway. And what ends up happening is all these citizens have gone into the and they have like everyone has emergency packages. And so this army shows up. They can't take over anything. And then inside the volcano, they've built, they've completely booby trapped it reverse, like out, inside out. So now it's impossible for these guys to escape. And they're just like picking off the army one by one as they make their way out of the mountain. It's yeah. a movie. That's how I would do it. But I don't know. A part of the premise is that anarchy is more appealing to humans, and it doesn't work if most people prefer hierarchy. So I don't really know. So, so I would say that anarchy, anarchy is is doesn't sit well with religious folks. Yeah, I guess they don't like. I don't, well, it doesn't sit well with law and order type people in general, right? Yeah. I, as I say that, though, I feel like. I think laws in, in, are important. I think these guys have yeah. laws, but they don't have. How do they, how do they decide rulers. on what the laws were? They just voted on them, right? Yeah. Like we've, we've had ideas on this it, podcast yeah. that would allow yeah. for like. They could just vote. Vote. They don't need voting to, percentages. They don't need to cast a vote on their behalf. They're just going to directly decide. And I think anyone can, anyone should be able to draft up legislation and get yeah. enough majority to like make yeah. it a law. Yeah. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. 15 million people be a little bit tough, but who knows? Maybe, maybe there are different laws for different sectors and like everyone kind of has like a weird way of doing things. I think that's where it gets interesting. Right? It's like, okay, 15 people like kind of as a monolith is a lot. Right? Yeah. I feel that inevitably there's some clustering. There's going to be right? clustering, but yeah. who? I think what we'll, we've found in most civilizations today is there is a top cluster, right? Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. that rankles on a lot of people. Um, 
for example, and I hope this doesn't offend our Indian viewers or Indian listeners. I think in India, the top cluster today is like Gujarati businessmen. Like I, it's just the thing, <laughs> right? I mean, they're the, the two, I think out of the top 10 in richest Indians, the top two are definitely Gujarati businessmen. Um, our prime minister is a Gujarati. I don't know if they're a business person, but Modi definitely has like strong ties with the Gujarati business community. And in India and, and in the United States, it's traditionally been wasps or white Anglo-Saxon mm -hmm. Protestants, right? So every, every country has had these like top group that have kind of mm. held sway over everyone else. And I think what you'll find in an anarchic society is like, sure, there'll be informal, smaller hierarchies within groups, maybe. Like there'll be mm. someone who's mm. more popular. There'll be someone who's uh, taken more seriously than the other, other people. But you won't have this dominant group who uh, puts their will upon everyone else and shoves their morals onto everyone else, which is kind of what happens in today's society. So w when you look at like the Occupy movement, yeah, which, which was supposed to be anarchic, right? Um, it felt like they couldn't ever make a decision. They didn't have the tools. They, it's like saying, hey, how do we build a building and we don't have any, we have no rules, we have no structure of organization. They, there was no theory, nor was there expertise in how to build a decentralized organization, which I think is a technology in itself that we're just scratching the yeah, surface. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like it's a new yeah. thing, Vijay. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do agree. I like that ability to make decisions collectively without being dependent on a, on a binding agent or on a leader. Yeah. Right. It's something that's very viable to say that historically hasn't been viable. Right. Exactly. Um, right. And you should have to pro propose and vote. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Amazon purports to be like small teams making decisions. There's always, mm -hmm. you know, those leaders that do make, make decisions at the end. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they don't go against the grain. Oftentimes it's the smaller groups proposing a decision and then it's usually just accepted. But mm -hmm. I think we're getting closer to a place, like you said, uh, diverse groups can just make decisions. But look, I think that was the one weird thought for today. Um, it's just about it, anarchy. And it was definitely weird. It was weird, right? Like yeah. when you think about it, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, it's scary to some people. Maybe it's a little bit strange, but. I, I'm glad you agree that it was a weird thought, and yeah. um, it's definitely something I've been thinking about. Karen, I have a closing question for you. Sure. My question is, is that a society you would feel comfortable raising suction? Hell yeah. But we would have had to, I would love to see a track record of such a society without collapsing. So ah. collapsing in on its lack of collective decision-making processes. So, you know, I mean, that to me tells me that you have a fundamentally sunny uh, outlook towards humanity. Right? You, you believe that given the right tools, they're, you know, all, you know, be nice to each other. Yeah. But that's a fundamental nice, characteristic nice of the left. Nice enough. Yeah. 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 Nice enough. I, 
I find I think that's a belief. Yeah, it's it's an ideology versus there's no. F- the only facts I can point to are that we're still standing as humanity after all these millennia, um, despite there's and there's lots of evidence to the contrary when we've been given tools and we kind of use it to harm each other. But I think by and large, most most people are very reasonable. But yeah, yeah. I, send in your thoughts and suggestions to one weird thought at gmail.com, uh, especially if you think I need to pull Sakshi out of an anarchy of an anarchic state and i'm here to assure you that this does not exist today so um i will not be moving to an anarchic civilization anytime soon and so there's no need to worry for sakshi's safety okay well i'll, I'll stop googling child protective services in uh thanks vj in, in uh, colombia in colombia yeah. have her extradited yeah. immediately yeah. <laughs> that's right so yeah uh hit us up on on x at one weird thought um yeah we we've got an instagram one weird thought the the number one weird thought is our instagram and then of course email your thoughts comments and suggestions to one weird thought at gmail.com till next time i'll talk to you later vj yep thanks everybody <laughs>